Welcome, folks, to another edition of the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the Retro Talk Network, where we talk about anything having to do with nostalgia, radio, television, movies. If you plugged it in, turned it on, listened to it, or watched it, we talk about it here. I'm Smitty. And I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. We welcome you to another half hour or so of fun and merriment. Before we get started, we would like to go ahead and give you our email and our website so that you can drop us a line and check out what we're doing. Here's our email address. It's galaxymoonbeamnightsite at gmail.com. And that's spelled N-I-G-H-T-S-I-T-E at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightsite.com. We'd love to have you drop us a note. Let us know how... You like our show, how we're doing, what you'd like us to talk about, any topics of interest that are in your mind, by all means, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Well, Ian Rose is here with one more of his fantastic essays. The 1950s saw the end of cereal, not breakfast, movie. Ian Rose has more. (laughs) It had been a movie trend since the teens, Back to the silent days of the perils of Pauline, chapter films. You know them as serials. They were melodramatic with plenty of action, thrills, and the weekly cliffhanger. That was to get you to come back next week to the movie house. Movie serials. They were another victim of the ever-growing advance of television. The last of all the serials was Perils of the Wilderness, last playing in 1956. So says the book... To be continued by Bonanza Books of New York. However, there was one special serial, Flash Gordon. Actually, there were three. Two where he goes to Mungo and one where he goes to Mars, along with Dale Arden and Dr. Zarkov, to fight the evil Ming the Merciless. It starred Buster Crabb, who hosted his own TV show, Buster's Buddies on ABC TV, where he aired his Flash Gordon serials back there in the 1950s. Even after that show ended, those Flash Gordon serials kept coming back again and again. Hey, did anybody notice? I think Dr. Zarkov was a Russian. I wonder how he would have gone over with those congressional hearings on the House Un-American activities. Can you imagine a congressman asking... Dr. Zarkov, are you now, or have you ever been, a red? And Dr. Zarkov answering, does that include my trip to Mars? I'm Ian Rose. Very good. Very good, Ian. Thank you. I'm wondering if when he went to Mars, if he discovered a theater named Mercury there. (laughs) Think about it, folks. Think about it. Think about it. (laughs) Think about it. There's There's a common thread in there somewhere. Well, on this topic of the 50s, We want to get into another interesting topic about pitching the 1950s. Ian, we're going to turn back to you real quick and let you lead this off about uh, this interesting topic, which we call pitching the 1950s. Pitching, in other words, you know, uh, advertising Mm -hmm. and what it was like, mainly on television, because, you know, we got our set at my house in 1950 proper in May of that year. So right as the decade began, we had TV, and we were watching plenty of them. I can think back, now. I know you're thinking right now, a lot of these ads had to do with eating. We'll get into that in a minute, but I wanted to mention a few other different ads. One of them that kind of struck my fancy back then was one ad where where it was repolstering. In other words, taking chairs 
and uh, sofas and fixing them up again. Mm -hmm. This evidently was a big thing in the 50s. And the price for reupholstering a chair back then was $25, and a sofa was $75. Wow. Now, if you were to flash forward to today, the equivalency in money today would be for a chair, $250, and for a sofa, $750, which means it would be a lot cheaper just to buy new furniture. So I'm wondering this, and I can just throw this up for discussion. Did people really need to reupholster their stuff, or was this a throwback to what they'd done during the Depression and the war when things were scarce? And it was just a habit they'd gotten into. I'm not quite clear on that either way, but I just thought I'd toss it around. An interesting point. Mike, what do you think? Well, it's probably a little bit of everything. You know, you you had people who were still cutting corners. You know, they were Depression children, Depression kids, and they wanted to make things last. You know, American products were actually built to last. And in, in the area of upholstery, of course, the more people that sat on something, the quicker it wore out. So they were able not only to make it last longer, uh, I know Hey, how many shoe stores do you remember, Ian, when you were growing up? There's a shoe store in every neighborhood, a shoe repair center. And I remember uh, my my mom, we would not get new shoes. We would get resoles on our existing shoes, and we would literally wear those out one time and then wear them out a second time and then hand them down to my little brother to start over again. And there wasn't a predominance of the you know the dual incomes like we have now, mm-hmm. so there's less money in the house and mm-hmm. the, like you'd have today. You may do TV repair shops. Exactly, Smitty, you're very familiar with that. You were sure. raised in a in a TV re- repair radio repair shop uh, family. Exactly, when the television, the technology of the time allowed, or was conducive, I should say, to having it repaired. You the, your TV would go out, and that you'd call the TV repair person in. And they would fix the TV today. Everybody that has these flat screens or computer monitors or what have you, even a CD player, the thing stops working. You just toss it out and get another one. I saw on the way over to the studio today, I was uh, turning the quarter from my house. There was a nice, it was probably a 30, probably 38-inch, big screen, high def, out on the sidewalk, very nice shape. It was a Sony, had a sign on it, $100, but must haul themselves. This thing's three, four hundred pounds. I sure. nearly killed myself getting mine in the house, but a throwaway, and it probably worked fine. A hundred bucks. So uh, I remember my dad taking our TV set to the TV repair shop, and you'd wait a week. Oh, af- no, definitely. I remember when uh, going over to the TV repair shop, which my dad had originally started, but my cousins ran, and seeing all the sets lined up there on the floor, and once they got repaired, they would run them for several hours to make sure that they were. They were good, and those all those sets are now pretty much collector's items. <laughs> oh, bicycle patch kits. Remember those? Sure. Like, they look like a pack of Camel cigarettes, I think it was, and they had the little scraper on the yep. top, the little uh, cheese grater, and you had a patch kit and some patch and some cement, and you patched your own bike tire. Different time than today. Another thing they were selling on television back then were these uh, collections of uh, books from the past, the Mm -hmm. classics. So evidently some people did have some money out there. Now, what made this interesting, and since I grew up in the New York area, some folks might remember this commercial. They were selling, you know, the classic stories. You get the complete uh, William Shakespeare, and I guess it was George Bernard Shaw, and and, uh, the poets, and this and that, and the other thing. And they were also selling you a copy of... Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's the first and only time I've ever heard that mispronounced. Now, what made this interesting was it was a mispronunciation on a classic hero, and they never changed the ad. Every time it came on, you get all these books, including 
Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So for the longest time there, I was never clear whether it was Dr. Jekyll or Dr. Jekyll. I guess they never made the time to correct that ad. Then. Well, maybe it was too expensive. No, maybe it was too expensive to do so. <laughs> wow. imagine, imagine a story about a guy who has a, a personality disorder, and he's a great guy one minute, and the next minute he's this horrible monster. What an opportunity for for the pharmaceuticals to advertise their antidepressant medication. Sure. In one of these nowadays. They might have even turned it into a regular show and been sponsored by a, well, you, by a drug company. You imagine the money Spencer Tracy could have uh, made when he did Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, had he, sure. just, had he pitched some of that stuff, had it been made at the time. And also Frederick March, for you Frederick March fans. <laughs> I had to throw that in. By, by the way, Barrymore did the silent movie. Am I showing off here? Well, no, I'm, we, <laughs> no, we can move not. this along. Long Cheney Jr. with uh, hair removal products, electrolysis. Oh, boo! <laughs> okay, let's go. Uh-huh. And the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame with uh, uh, major plastic surgery. Oh, uh, Boris Karloff, uh, the mummy. Are you suffering from the heartbreak of psoriasis? <laughs> oh, boo. Loose bandages? <laughs> take a tantalimodium. Take a tantalimodium tea break, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the types of advertising. Of course, obviously... Obviously, the advertising in the 50s and even well into the 60s was more of an innocent type of an advertisement. It was innocent. And I'll tell you something else. Not only was it innocent, there was a deathly fear. Now, let's talk about mainly the eating ads because okay. we saw plenty of those. And they were all, a lot of them were demos and they were live. So we're talking about selling uh, uh, you know, chocolate milk or soda pop or cupcakes or cookies or something. And the, the, the pitch man, which may, might have been the host of the show, uh, and I do say men because it was mostly men anyway, you know, would either take a bite out of the cookie or a sip of the drink. And believe me, it was always a very tiny bite and a very tiny sip because I guess there was a fear of choking mm-hmm. on the air. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like to me. Sure. Well, and it sure. was reward-based, too. All advertising was the, all about the reward you'd get, even a, with the right kind of cigarettes. Uh, Chesterfield, not a cough in the pack, Marlboro, uh, be awesome, be manly like the cowboy. Food, like you say, in food, uh, uh, build strong bodies 12 ways. They mm-hmm. never really got down to the 12 ways. You know, you would look like a mutant if your body <laughs> if your body was built in 12 different ways. Look, well, I guess uh, there's 10 fingers. Uh, 12 ways. Build strong bodies. 12 ways. No one questioned. Well, what are the 12 ways? Exactly. You took it as... Uh, You've only got one liver. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you took it as an, as a, the word of authority that 12 ways was 12 ways. Well, brill uh, cream, a little dabble do you. Right. Do what? Do what? Do you? Uh, nowadays, you'd be blipped off the air on that one. Sure. Now, I never understood this. Brill cream, a little dabble do you. Use more only if you dare. Watch out. The girls will all pursue you. They love to run their fingers through your greasy hair. I don't get this. Well, yeah. <laughs> it was a different time period. I guess it was. That's what they said. I don't know. Maybe then it was different. I wouldn't want to walk around being known as the little dab guy. Oh, gosh. Yuck. <laughs> and then what about some of the things that today are absolutely taboo? Cigarettes. Uh, there's no longer any cigarette ads, of course. The uh, even beer. Uh, back in the day, they would show people drinking a glass of beer. That can't be shown today anymore. Well, nowadays, um, I just, just watch the Super Bowl, and it, the big beer, big beer manufacturers are spending millions and millions of dollars, but very seldom do you see the beer actually being consumed. What's That's the rationale system. for that, anybody? What's Inter- the... Entertainment. No, I mean, they don't want to see people drinking? I don't know if they don't want to see, or it takes away from the... Uh, it takes away from the comedic value of the the actual commercial. 
It takes seconds to show a guy swilling back a beer. And then, sure. And then, of course, the uh, the purists will always say, why didn't he belch? <laughs> I think there's always some... <laughs> I'm always I waiting think... for the guy at the bar to, to blow the head off of the beer. Remember oh, that? yeah, exactly. Like you see in the Westerns. In the Westerns. <laughs> I, I guess that some of these commercials are tied in with social responsibility. That's why you don't well, see the, the guy drinking the beer, guzzling down the beer. And, and you know, in beer, and I did, a, I did a study of this quite a number of years ago, beer originally, Pabst Blue Ribbon, for instance, in the 50s, what do you have? Old-time flavor, but the set was always in a barber shop in the gay 90s. A barber shop, and it was the guys sitting around, and they had mugs of beer, and it was a manly thing, a guy thing. Fast forward 60 years later today, and it's it's sexual. It's You want to get the good girl. You want to get the hot girls. You better drink this kind of beer, or they're not going to look at you, you wimp. I see. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much is the premise of advertising. You know, you drink this beer, you'll get the girl. Drive this car, you'll be most popular. Uh, smoke this cigarette, you'll be a cool guy. Uh, th- that's always been sort of the, can we call it a subliminal message or sort of a suggested message in a lot of these advertisements? Uh, I think it is an, a- an a- attack or an indictment on, on the masculinity. I just saw the Carl's Jr. with the guy who ordered the grilled cheese sandwich group of guys were in a restaurant and the waitress comes up and serves this little grilled cheese with a cookie and the other guys are looking at him strangely now go to carl's jr and order their double grilled cheese with five pounds of uh, raw sizzling beef onions cheese mayonnaise buns and uh, you're going to be the coolest guy on the block if you want that grilled cheese. So you ever in the hang- you're in the mood for a grilled cheese, you've got to go to Carl's Jr. if you want to be cool. Which means that advertising was a heck of a lot more innocent in the 50s. It sure got- seems that way. Back then, all they wanted to do was just to push the product. Didn't necessarily want to improve your love life. Well, the messages were confused. I don't think of the early advertising agencies, and there's some great ones. Small Wonder, the VW one. Uh, Jerry Delafina, who concocted the Volkswagen series, Small Wonder. You open up a big blank page in Life magazine, and there's nothing on the page except a little picture of a Volkswagen. That was cutting edge. That was monumental back in the 60s. You couldn't get away with that. Nowadays, people want to be entertained. They're very fickle. Uh, the 30-second ad form is, is now uh, is losing its grip. People are doing these viral videos on YouTube, and uh, big corporate America is moving a lot of their money away from TV because you just can't talk. You don't want to talk to 2 million people about your product like you did in the 50s and 60s. You want to talk to the 20,000 people you've identified as being just crazy or potentially crazy about your product, and then you want to zero in on them and talk to them on their level, a lot like the Carl's Jr. ads. Sort of a form of narrow casting, then. Well, yeah. You pitch Carl's Jr. How many vegetarians are in that crowd? You don't want to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thinking back to the fifties, we think about we have to think about Betty Furness. Yes, Betty Furness. You can be sure if it's Westinghouse. Oh gosh, and you know she yeah. she cut her teeth, I think, in movies in the thirties, and then somehow somebody must have spotted her. What was the theory? They wanted to get a no nonsense woman. To pitch something to other women? I think that was that was it. And uh, chime in here, if the, if Mike and Ian. I think what it was was that it was they wanted to get a, a nice nonsense lady that was just showing the ladies of the house all over the nation how this wonderful Westinghouse refrigerator or 
range or washer dryer worked and uh, she was a very appealing person very no nonsense very pleasant on tv nice well, voice and she was created by the ad agency of betty Furness. i'm sure she was a spokesman somewhere i think she was probably on one of those revolving table revolving platforms at the at the home shows in the 50s where she was handing out the flyers but she was created by the ad agencies as the voice of credibility and believability there was never such a person as Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker was invented. There was never a Betty Crocker. But the brand name, the Betty Crocker brand name, is is golden and will remain the gold standard of credibility and believability and, and safety in household cooking for, well, way through our times and sure. our lifetimes. Wasn't there somebody they modeled her after, or do we even know? Uh, there's a story about that. You probably look it up on Google it, but back in the 50s, they were looking for an icon, Aunt Jemima. There was not an Aunt Jemima. Uh, bird's Eye, you know, Bird's Eye, Charles Bird's Eye was the innovator of freezing food in the 1920s. The TV dinner did not come about in the 50s. Charles Bird's Eye found a process to flash freeze fresh vegetables in the 1920s. He just didn't have the money to figure out how to get it to market. The bird's eye TV dinner, you know, that's history from the fifth, the TV dinner in the, in the aluminum tray. I remember those. I had hundreds of those when I was growing up. But the concept was developed in the 20s. Some of the advertising uh, of that era was, was also very low pressure, I guess we could call it. You had the integrated commercial where they would cut over to the announcer and the announcer would tell you about whatever the product was. It was very low pressure. They would tell you nice person dressed in a suit would talk about the product, hold it in his hand, tell you a little bit about it. We, we don't yeah, see that anymore. We, do, we don't see that because there's just no credibility. It could ruin somebody's reputation if, if a celebrity pitched something and it turned out that it was recalled. Look at the look at the marketing, the total marketing disaster with Toyota and Lexus now. Mm -hmm. Lexus was the king of the road. That was your sign of status. Now it's uh, uh, don't pull in front of a Lexus. <laughs> you may lose a trunk in the process. But George Fenneman, I, he was your on-camera. What did he pitch on Groucho Marx? George Fenneman here. Was it Home Savings and Loan? Well, he did that later. Uh, DeSoto. He pitched DeSoto Plymouth on You Bet Your Life. You Bet Your Life. And you know how many DeSotos were sold for no other reason than George Fenneman said that was the car to drive? How many were? Thousands upon thousands. Wow. You, you know it works in the advertising world. You know it works. If you see it year after year or month after month, people say, well, those are the silliest commercials, that furniture shop across town. I see those all the time. Why on earth would he continue? How much do those cost? Well, you just gave it away. You see it all the time. That tells you they're working. So he's making it up in volume. Making it in volume. Now, there was also the, the we had saw a lot of uh, breakfast cereals being sold. I've got to tell you, it, it was disturbing even back then, may, maybe subliminally, even though I was a youngster that so many of those breakfast cereals had so much darn sugar on them. Sure. I thought there was a problem. <laughs> Evidently, I don't was there. You know, you had all these uh, sugarified. I thought you bought cereal. You put your own sugar on to suit your own taste. Well, even in the 50s, do you remember, Ian? Eat your Wheaties. Eat yes. your Wheaties. That's brand name. Not eat, not eat your processed wheat and corn processed uh, water and starch and sugar added <laughs> breakfast product. It was eat your Wheaties. Just we could we could do a whole show just on cereals. Snap, crackle, and pop. Mm. Rice Krispies. Sure. Tony the Tiger. They're great. Shredded wheat. They go on and on. 
that was where marketing wars were fought and won and lost in the world of cereal. Because cereal in the 50s and 60s were the hottest things on earth to mm-hmm. market and sell. There's a good reason, because the profit margin is huge, huge. as someone explained to me once. Yes. I mean, what is it? That cereal box runs a few cents, and they sell it for so many dollars now? And cereal is expensive today. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure they were making quite a profit in the 50s, too, in the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Lots of cereals. Well, we'll get back to this topic after the station break, and we'll talk a little bit about cigarette advertising and mm. tying in with that. That ties into our retro commercial. So we'll be right back on the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. They said it couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. Couldn't be done. They said you couldn't make a cigarette with such exciting taste and such an improved filter. But L&M did it. Puff by puff, today's L&M gives you less tars and more taste. Less tars, more taste. Yes, it's a fact. The patented miracle tip enables today's L&M to give you, puff by puff, less tars in the smoke than ever before. L&M. Every time you see the pack with the big red L&M, remember what those big red letters mean to you. L, less tars. M, more taste. L&M. Less tars and more taste. Less tars, more taste. The clean, rich taste of the Southland's finest cigarette tobaccos. So live modern. Change to modern L&M. Light into that L&M flavor. You're really living when you do. Well, that was an interesting commercial. Hold on. Uh, please excuse me for a moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, L&M's. If I was smart, I'd switch to Chesterfield, not a cop in the pack. Mm. Welcome back to the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. Uh, I am one of the hosts. I am Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm Ian. And we're all here getting ready to uh, fill up another ashtray with nostalgic cigarette memorabilia. No, not really. Actually, we are the Retro Talk Network, where we talk about anything having to do with nostalgia, radio, television, movies, iron lungs, uh, filter control systems. If you plugged it in, turned it on, listened to it, or watched it, we talk about it right here. GalaxyMoonbeamNightSight.com, the podcast. Our website is located at GalaxyMoonbeamNightSight.com. GalaxyMoonbeamNightSight.com. We love your emails. Keep them coming. Email us at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Well, Smitty, let's get over here to the <coughs> ashtray episode. Light up another. Uh, here, hand me that the pack of cigarettes. And my free uh, lighter I got with 12 coupons from Parliament Filter yes, Tips. Exactly, <laughs> Parliament Cigarettes. Yeah, you get, you get four extra with a carton, by the way. Do you remember that? Well, I remember that. I had a neighbor, a friend of mine, his mom and dad furnished their entire house with stuff they got from Raleigh coupons. Wow. I, I, I believe it. They furnished their entire house, and they took their vacation with fishing equipment. They bought... All on Raleigh oh coupons. Oh, my goodness. How about that? You know, I'd like to wax nostalgic. Now, I'm not sitting here endorsing cigarettes because we know how uh, damaging they can be. But anyway, there was one ad, and I thought the Winston was pretty good. This is from the late 1950s where they are doing the, the, ha- the hand clap on the stomp. Right. You know, and they go something like, can I, can I go ahead and just do yes, it? Yes, go ahead and do it, sure. Okay, here it goes. It's what's up front that counts up ahead of the filter. And the fun you get with a Winston cigarette comes from filter blend because Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Winston tastes good like a 
cigarette should. It's what's up front that counts. You know, I always thought that I always thought that was the tagline for maiden form bra. Oh, boo. <laughs> okay. okay. Never mind. No. Never mind. Drum roll. Light up another cigarette there. Ian. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> okay. I had to get that out of my system. Well, that was good, Ian. Thanks for reminding us about that. Yes, yeah, so I need to make another disclaimer that I'm not endorsing cigarettes. No, no, we're not endorsing cigarettes. We're merely talking about the old nostalgia. Uh, end of it, the advertisement. We were talking about other things, too. We were talking about Westinghouse and Betty Furness. And uh, what about cars, automobiles? Any particular uh, recollections about automobile? Uh, we talked about George Fenneman. Any other? Uh, what? Uh, Rosemary Clooney? See the USA? See the, and Dinah Shore. Dinah Shore, yeah. yeah. See the USA in a Chevrolet? Yeah, see the USA in a Chevrolet. I used to remember seeing that, and I think that was a sponsor for My Three Sons. They were. They were. In fact, uh, I have actually seen reruns of My Three Sons on cable TV where they're airing the original ending where the credits, they show the credits, and in the background you see the different Chevrolet models for 1960, sure. fill-in-the-blank, <laughs> driving along a test course. Well, that was interesting how car advertising evolved because back in the 50s there were one or two models of each make. You go over to the 60s, and I even remember with the Chevrolets, the different models, but especially in the mid-60s, the Ford commercials, the Falcon Fairlane, and if you please, the beautiful Galaxy. Well, they reached out at all, all economic levels on those. Remember the Falcons? What was it, 180 cubic inch? That thing couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> it looked like a little salamander. I had one of those. I, I, had, I had a 61 Falcon Ranchero. Now, oh, how they designed a car with 180 cubic inches with a bed for hauling things, you could not haul an average weight and height human being in the car. But they made them with the bed on the back, and <laughs> you'd fill them up with stuff and, you know, maybe be able to drive just as far as the next transmission repair facility. Was your car pretty trouble-prone back in the day? Well, I never knew it was in the shop, so... So many times I didn't get a chance. 180 okay. cubic inches yeah. of uh, pure and adulterated Ford power plant. You think it would get you somewhere, but the heater didn't work, or you turn the heater on and the radio would blow up. Or you, and then you turn the radio on, you fix the radio fuse, and you turn that on, and the windshield wipers wouldn't work. It was an interesting concept. Thank God for Lee Iacocca and the Mustang. <laughs> and then when the whole car worked, your mouth would break down. Well, that's true. I was busy over the next block th thumbing a ride home. I, you know, during that time, the 1950s, there was a transition making cars lower. You remember this? Mm -hmm. They were higher. Uh, as I say, they looked like pregnant turtles or something. Mm -hmm. And then they started getting lower. And some of the old car makers, it might have been the head of uh, Kaiser Frazier. I, I don't mm -hmm. know if it was him. And he was dead set against lowering these cars. He said, people want a car they can get into, not do something over. Now, use your imagination. <laughs> well, you know, another thing I, you will not see anymore, what about the curb feelers? Oh, sure, oh, the, the curb, curb feelers. The curbs are as high as they've ever been. The cars are lower, but no curb feelers. Mm. Remember those? Do you remember if you didn't have them, you could go down to Western Auto and pick up a couple and... Just sure. uh, screw them on, or a Phillips head screwdriver, and then you had curb feelers. You'd go down to, like, as you said, Western Auto or Pet Boys. Pet or... Boys, Manny Moe and Jack, exactly. Western Auto. Sure. Oh, my. Yeah. The days of the automobile. There was something that just gives you an idea about prices. Wasn't there a, uh, I think it was Lee Iacocca was selling um, a, a Ford in the mid-50s, and it was uh, $55 a month in the year 1955. That was the payment. That's amazing. Yeah, 55 and 55. 
Well, he yeah. he he was the marketing guy when they came out with the Mustang. And that probably came in the sixty-five, 60s? yeah, sixty-four, mm. sixty-five. Lee Iacocca was behind that, and uh, boy, there were some oddball products coming. Well, we all know about the Edsel. Yeah, right. The Edsel that didn't really. I wish I could have bought every Edsel I found <laughs> in somebody's backyard for fifty dollars, haul it away, and put it somewhere because I saw a couple on eBay. One was thirty-two thousand bucks, oh. and it was just stock. It had no wow. work done to it. The tires were rotted. There was another one completely restored bumper to bumper for 70,000 bucks and it sold. Mm. Amazing, amazing. I guess there weren't too many of them because they didn't they, they were a flop basically. No, well that it was a it was an urban joke for years and years. <laughs> well, that thing, uh, depending on what it is they were talking about, you just got yourself an Edsel is what you got. And you'd be talking about a rocking chair with squeaky springs, but if they referred to something that didn't work or was not pleasing to the eye or something that was a clunker or a reject as an Edsel. And now what was the cause of uh, the downturn in sales? Some said it was they had it was a recession going on. That was a problem. Was it because it looked ugly? The Edsel? Yeah. It confused people. It was nicer than a Ford at the time. But it wasn't as nice as a Mercury, so the public was confused on who would want to buy it and why they would want to buy it. And I believe they were made in 57 and 58. They are only made in two years. But it was those uh, those obnoxious keyhole-looking grills on the front of them. Yeah, those always struck me as being not, personally, as not being too appealing. Yeah, and of course, the, the headlights were two and two on each side. And if you t- took somebody's hat and put it on there, you could have a, fa- have a face. You know, you have a hat <laughs> well, and two big eyes. And what did the name Edsel come from, Ian? I came from the son of the founder. Very good. Henry Ford's son, yes, Edsel. That's right. Who, oh. had, uh, who, had, who had passed away, and then Henry Ford II, Edsel's son, was running the company by okay. that time. Hmm. You know, we ought, to do a show, we ought to do a show in the future on OK used cars. Remember the big OK? Sure. Yeah. OK used cars. OK. Those th- I remember an okay used car lot in my neighborhood in Los Angeles. And the running joke on the okay used car dealer, I, I remember asking my dad, how'd they get that okay? That, he goes, well, that's the salesman. As soon as you leave the lot in one of their cars, he tells his boss, okay, let's run and cash the check before that thing breaks down on it. <laughs> Could have been. An interesting antidote. Could have happened that way. Well, we'll have to maybe talk more about that on another show. Because we're just about out of time. We want to remind you to drop us a note. We really want to hear from you. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail.com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightside.com. Drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for this week. We thank you for joining us, for being with us on our podcast. Remember, our other shows are available on our website for download. We hope you check them out if you haven't heard them yet. I'm Smitty. And I'm Mike. And I'm Ian. We'll see you next time, folks. Take care.